0: What I'm appreciating is the beauty of the work that I do and what I offer in this world, is that there's this power of touch and there's this power of just allowing whatever is in the moment, because some like in culture and bringing in church stuff, we're supposed to do something a certain way. And if we don't, it's somehow our fault. Yeah. And it gets like this victim blaming thing that happens. Um, and that's for me also part of my religious deconstructing, deconstructing journey is like, what is this about?
1: Death is a vital part of life. It initiates us into change. It is inevitable. We face our fears and enter our death portals, shedding old skins and ways of being, grieving our losses and re-emerging anew. I'm Ellen Wong. I'm a storyteller and entheogenic death companion. I invite you to enter this portal of discovery with me, and together, Let's break our fearful silence and uplift our stories of death and grief, so that we can all be inspired to live our lives loud. Welcome to Mom. Hello, my deathy listeners. This is Ellen once again. Welcome back to MUM. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Stacy Schultz, and she's a Rosen Method body work practitioner and massage therapist working out of Minnesota. She is also genderqueer. And one thing I love about the way she describes, if you go to her website and go straight to her about page, she has herself as saying that she's always learning and constantly evolving and as i read that it's that's essentially the spirit of mum that's a spirit of why this podcast exists this is why we talk about death portals and rebirth because that in essence is evolution always learning constantly evolving stacy really believes in listening to the wisdom of the body and Turning to our bodies to kind of understand ourselves even be even deeper understanding our authentic selves, listening to ourselves through the ways that our bodies speak to us. And I learned so much through Stacy. It was in her sharing of her stories about working in hospice and walking with people at the end of their life, offering. Body work for comfort care. And she just opened my eyes to the ways in which touch can really support people at the end of life. But that's actually not what our conversation is about. Perhaps in a different conversation, we'll get to that, um, which is also a super rich territory to explore with Stacy. The thing that I share with Stacy is that we both have a religious upbringing. We both grew up in the Christian church. And Stacy went as far as going into seminary school and becoming a missionary in Kenya even. And through many death portals in discovering who she really is, somebody who now identifies as part of the LGBTQ community, she realized that there has been a lot of uh, harm that she has suffered through her religious upbringing and through the religious community, and that her body stores and has experienced a lot of religious trauma. And that's something that we both share. I think in my healing journey, I too have identified ways in which my religious upbringing in the Christian church has caused harm to me, and some of which still is very much present, which you'll hear in our conversation as I recount some stories. I want to caveat this conversation by saying that by no means are we, are either one of us saying that religion is bad or that religion as a whole is harmful. I personally believe that harm can happen in any spaces, you know, secular or religious, secular or spiritual, I should say. And even in the psychedelic community that I'm a part of, there has been so much harm being surfaced in these spaces that we all are really needing to be conscious of. And so as we talk about religious trauma today, I believe that you can substitute the word spiritual in there. Um, You know, any space in which people are coming to connect to something greater than them and how that is... That, that vulnerability is abused by those who hold power in these spaces. That's really what we're talking about today. And so Stacy is sharing her death story when it comes to her identity in these religious communities that she was very much um, indoctrinated into. So I know that this is A very tender conversation, as all conversations on this podcast are. So I just want to start by inviting you to take a breath with me, the same way that we'd start every episode. If you're someplace where you can close your eyes and feel into your body, feeling into the connection that you have to the earth, anchoring to the ground, please go ahead and do that as I invite us all to take one collective breath together, deep breath in through the nose, and gently sighing out through the mouth, sending gratitude to the earth. Please welcome Stacy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I am really I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I think at first we were talking about having this conversation on my previous podcast with New. And I think after conceiving Mum and um, you know, having this podcast really be centered around uplifting stories around death and grief and really exploring like all the different kinds of death that we experience in our lives. I started to realize that your story um, is a really profound death that feels very,
2: like it needs to be nestled here. It needs to be um, honored and not just shared, but
1: like, yeah, I think the word honored really captures it. Um, because this is an experience and I'm just going to give like a little teaser right now. <laughs> what we're going to be talking about is your relationship to religion, which played such a huge part in your upbringing and in a big part in your life. And this moment of stepping away from that and recognizing the harm that you had, um, experienced through Religion. And um, if anything that I'm saying is incorrect, please correct me. But I, because this is a story that's really near and dear to me as well, having also grown up in the church and had very similar experiences to some of the things that you shared with me, um, I feel like there's a lot of people, um, a lot of listeners out there that may also have had the same or similar experiences. So I think this is a really important story because so many of us have grown up with a a religious upbringing um, and in some ways are healing a lot from the things that we may have heard or experienced at that time. So I don't know exactly where to start, but I wanna just kind of gently throw the microphone over to you to begin wherever you feel you're being called to begin right now.
0: It's interesting too, I will say, because as soon as people hear the word religion, like so much stuff comes up around that. Um, and also the word the word trauma, because those are two words that keep, that are getting used a lot, religious trauma. Um, and I find too, when I hear that I, something in me just kind of quivers of like, oh, that's, those are two really big words to describe, um, and so I'm just sitting too, just with the terminology, like you said, harm. And that's the word that really resonates with me is like, how did religion harm me or har- how has religion harmed other people? Um, and the other words that I use is spiritual abuse, um, because I feel like that relates to so many people, whether they were in a religious context or not, like spiritual harm, it can show up in psychedelic spaces it can show up in yoga spaces it can show up between a practitioner and their client like once there's a power dynamic and how is that dynamic used potentially manipulated um, or potentially being supportive like very in a supportive way Um, and for me these terms have just started coming into my vocabulary in the last few years um, because I'm beginning to understand that the impacts that religion had on me like I like to say like church was like my coping mechanism. Some people use substances, some people like Jesus and youth group is what got me through a lot of stuff. And it perpetuated this cycle that I didn't realize until just a few years ago. Um, and I'll also add, because this is important to my story. I am, I'm a body worker. I do massage therapy and I do Rosen method. Um, which is the modality that's about like focusing on the client. There's a dialogue, but there's also hands-on and it goes at the pace of the body. Um, And it was through my experiences and working with clients, which I, and when they would say stuff and how that resonated in my own body. And it just like, I'm like, there's something about this. There's something about this. Um, And also just on the topic of death, like bring that into the conversation, too. And it's a great way to just shut down a conversation. Um, (laughs) Seriously. uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) It's just like, oh, my God, what do we want? Uh, Because part of my entrance into becoming a body worker or specifically massage therapist was a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer and nobody would touch her. Nobody would work with her. Um, because there was this misnomer that's now been changed. But like if someone had cancer, massage could potentially spread the cancer. And that is not true at all. But that started my process into becoming a massage therapist. I had this corporate job. I was going to massage school at night. Suddenly the corporate job ended in the layoff and I made the decision to go into massage therapy full-time. And there's kind of been no looking back. It's been over 13 years ago. But in thinking about that, I think about the types of clients that I've worked with, like people who are mm, outsiders, it's not quite the right term, but people who um, need support or want support, like those in cancer treatment. Um, And another part of my story is that I spent three years as a massage therapist working with hospice. And so that's where I talk about, like, you bring death into the conversation and um, It was in working with those, it would be patients because they were in hospice service, but it really challenged me of what does it mean to live and what does it mean to live like uninhibited, especially knowing that your time is coming to an end. Um, I held space for people who were my own age. I held space for people who were older than me, numerous diagnoses, um, also like Alzheimer's and dementia. And it really made me slow down and learn to be present. Like I would show up in these spaces, I'd be going into people's homes, I'd be going into skilled nursing facilities, and each experience was like its own container. Um, And again, like death is part of that container. Like, and um, like I was joking about before, it's just it brings in weird conversations with your friends, you know, after your day of work, working with past, like, how was your day? It's like, well, uh, I saw the realms of bigger things today. Or, um, and it just really got me pondering because of the language that clients would say about, they didn't believe in the church stuff that they were doing things because their family needed them to do it. Um, and they wanted to make their family happy on their way like exiting the earth. Um, That's
1: super interesting. That, this is like a, a facet of your work that I don't know if we've talked about before, the overlap between, I think, how do I say it? It's like the, the expectations of what the dying person is, um, I guess the expectations kind of placed on the dying person by those around them, their loved ones, their family. Um, it, it brings up to mind like the fact that like my dad wasn't Christian and when he died, he had a Christian burial. And it's it's an interesting, you know, I, I'm still sitting with that going, God, that doesn't feel good in my body knowing that, you know? But yeah. I feel like what you're bringing up right now is that sort of like, um, how do you walk with somebody at the end of their life? who is also kind of being held towards, um, held to, you know, practices, standards, whatever you want to call it, that don't necessarily resonate with who they are.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and that shows up too, with like people I've worked with who have had cancer diagnosis, like the same type of conversation. Like I need, the, the client will say like, I need to be strong for my family. I need, but you can see, and that's, what I'm appreciating is the beauty of the work that I do and what I offer in this world is that there's this power of touch. Mm -hmm. um, And there's this power of just allowing whatever is in the moment, because some like in culture and bringing church stuff, we're supposed to do something a certain way. And if we don't, it's somehow our fault. And it gets like this victim blaming thing that happens. Um, And that's for me also part of my religious deconstruction, deconstructing journey is like what is this about like what is this about um and especially with rose and clients when they would start coming in and just sharing things and I would like look at their body like their face is saying one thing like they're expressing but their body is completely constricting like the body is like hey I need some support here I need some help um and I just started getting curious and asking you know is religion part of your experience and like of the time, the answer was yes. Um, And one session that really moved me deeply was a person who came in for a Rosen session and they're they're an educated person, probably mid-40s or so during the session. And they're like, you know, when I was eight years old, I came home one day and my parents were gone and I couldn't find them. And like the front door was locked and I went around to the back of the house and my parents weren't there and I thought the rapture had come. I remember, like even in sharing that story now, I can feel the pause in my own body of like, there is something unspoken about what religion does to people. And especially like with my story, when we're young, like our brains are still developing. We're connected to caregivers, like, you know, if we're involved in church or not, how that looks and you're supposed to behave a certain way. And here's this like forty year old client who's suddenly in their eight year old experience, and that fear in their body is still shutting them down now
2: wow
1: i I just want to share. I remember in my own experience like um <laughs> we we had gone to like a i think in the summertime there's always like these um like a camp you know like a church camp that um Families would go to not just kids, but families. They they also had the ones for kids too. But um, in these camps, you know, the kids would be separate, and we would have our own program, and the parents would be in you know their own program, and we're somewhere in the middle of the woods, or you know, and um, this one time we, there was a, I guess it was a, a a youth pastor who came and shared about how he had basically been had like demonic possession. I was in like sixth or seventh grade, you know? And describing things like how he would look at himself in the bathroom mirror and everything behind him would disappear. And he started making lists of kids that he wanted to kill because he was so angry. And just like, you know, how this voice, this like demon would come to him. I can't tell you how many nightmares, I mean, as I'm telling this story, what I'm experiencing in my body is like, it's like all my hairs on my back are up, you know, it's like my whole body is still going through that fear response, you know, that sort of like, okay, gotta armor up and protect to this day. And I don't really, you know, it's not that I believe or don't believe, it's, it's not about that. It's more like, you know, I can't believe that this was allowed to be brought into a space with vulnerable, kids and teenagers.
0: And I think what I'm realizing too is like part of this religious harm, like the term that I'm using is like that, like specifically what you described, what I've described is this thing of especially with like it's children a lot of times, but then it somehow becomes normalized. Like if you would have questioned that, or if I would have questioned that, I'd be like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Or there's this like fear of hell that's put in there. And like, that's like, for me, is still what I'm trying to unpack from, because sometimes when I mess up, I mean, it's like a simple mess up. And I'm like, oh my God, like there's this like eternal feeling that comes over me. I'm like, well, that's awful. Um, and what's interesting For me, is like people who have not grown up in the church. Like when we have conversations, they like stare at me, and I stare at them. I'm like, what's it like to not have that fear in your body? Like, you know, what's it like just to like live your life and not have to worry about like how you're dressed? Like, are you like are you good enough to be with a man? Because that's another part of like, especially like youth group stuff, like like purity culture. Like you don't have sex until you're married. You don't. You're supposed to dress a certain way. The women aren't supposed to like be provocative towards the men. I'm like, how? how messed up is that? It's messed up. Yeah. And it just gets like squished down into our bodies. And like, yeah, that's part of my story.
2: At what
1: point in your life did you start to go like, wait a second, I, this doesn't feel healthy for me, or this doesn't feel supportive for me?
0: That's that's an interesting question, because I feel in some ways that question was always there. Mm. And I would always ask, but the question where I would look for answers was within the church. So, of course, it was turned back to me of like, well, you just need to try harder. You're not a good enough Christian. You need to do these more. You know, you need to serve more. You need to pray more. Go to more Bible studies. Like I check every freaking box of being a good church person, like um, so much so that I went to seminary and I was also a missionary for two and a half years. Um So yeah, there was some driving force that had me doing those things while at the same time I was questioning things because I couldn't figure out how to get out, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And um, it's been in the last three years, I would ask like colleagues, like, have you, like, do you have other experiences with clients and religion? Well, no, not really. Why? Like, because I'm seeing this stuff. And I found out there is like, there's a movement happening. There's different support services available there's language that's becoming available for those of us that are like what happened and now we're adults and we're like trying to figure out how to be adults if that also makes sense like how do we show up in this world and like be amazing in this world um and going back to the hospice experience too like when people don't want to talk about death like we're all going to die like just we don't know when we don't know how and I'm not making light of that but I think when we face that it really empowers us to live um (sighs) and that is definitely what happened with the work that I did when you're looking at people like holding people with your hands on them as they're leaving um to ponder like what am I doing with this life Mm. and um and doing it in a way that's from my authentic space, not from somebody else telling me what to do, which is also part of the church culture thing too, is like, what should I do? How do I please this higher thing? How do I make the pastor happy? How do I make like, so even that learning what it is that makes me tick
1: and also holding space for what makes other people be their authentic selves. Yeah. You know, the question that's coming to mind as I'm thinking about like, just your experiences working in hospice and doing body work specifically. One of the things that I remember learning during my death doula training is that, you know, you could have been so like with the church and you know, like had this, this whole like very, very devoutly religious life. And at the very, very end when you are kind of staring death in the face and it's, you know, and we're talking like days, maybe a month left, there's a lot of fear that's still there. And so what I found really interesting was that mm, this religion that has kind of like been there to sort of teach us, well, you know, you live a certain um, quote unquote good life defined by them and you will, you know, and I'm talking about Christianity specifically right now, but like, you'll be, um, you know, like the gates of heaven will open up for you. Right. And you, you, you've like earned your place there. And yet even in holding this belief, there is still this big question mark that arrives at the very, very end of your life. Like, is this really, you know, it doesn't take away the fear i guess that's what i'm getting at you know it doesn't take away the fear and you you go through um perhaps not everyone but a lot of people start to go through the questioning like is this really true is this really what's going to happen and all of a sudden their whole religious sort of like life um fades you know it like it's like everything that they've practiced and you know held on to just completely gets almost like shattered um, as a question like well i don't i don't know i'm staring at this big unknown right in front of me about to cross into this threshold and i don't know if i'm going to quote unquote heaven what is that you know and so it's it's interesting to me i guess to hold that and go even at that at that last step which to me i feel like part of religion is out of, um, and again, I'm speaking about Christianity specifically, yes. there's a fear there, you know, there's a fear of like, I want to ensure that my life is going to be um like the afterlife is going to be taken care of in a sense, you know, that because that's what you learn from day one, I think as a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. if you believe in Jesus and all that kind of stuff, you're going to get to heaven. If you're a believer, you're going to go to heaven. That is the one thing that I feel like was dangled over me over and over and over again. And why that thing? It's not even so much the rules of what it looks like to be a good Christian. It's just like, be a good Christian, you're gonna go to heaven. Like the heaven thing seems to be like a big deal, you know? And yet so much questioning, so much, so many question marks at the very, very end of life, even for the most devout Christians.
0: And two, it's like this focus on something else, right? It's like a focus on not even being present in the now. And I think that, I mean, that's been my takeaway It's like how to be present in the now, because there was a song about having this big, big house with lots and lots of food. I don't know if you're really with that <laughs> song and you know and I was like, yeah, because I'm going to go to this big place and I'm going to have this big mansion to live in and like, okay, cool. Like, but it's so material. It's some ways too. And it's just, so for me, it keeps circling back. Like, how do how am I present now, and how am I supporting people now? And um, and it is scary for me to like be more vocal about religious things. Like, I have to put in the disclaimer: like, I'm not a talk therapist. I work with bodies, but I see the impacts of what happens to bodies because we don't breathe we we have these weird pains. We live with chronic illness and stuff, and so much. It's just stuff that's been stuffed down inside of us, like. Another client example that was like a client came in for a Rosen session and like, I've worked with them for a while. All of a sudden it came out that they had had an abortion mm. and they were super Christian and they couldn't tell anybody because they would have been completely kicked out of their community. Um, and so I also respect the type of safety that's created, that it takes safety and it can't be a forced safety when clients begin to share stuff. Um and to not fix it like to not fix it just to be like I see you I hear you it's really hard and to let the emotional cycle move through or the trauma cycle let that move through the body yeah. and just like when you're talking about being out in the woods they can't like you still have that response in your body those feelings are still there and so many times that's what gets repressed or we can't have it because it makes somebody else
1: uncomfortable yeah exactly Oh my gosh. Yeah. So many things I have uh, like, my, my mind is like going in a thousand different directions because this is such a juicy rich topic that I feel like, you know, we can talk about for hours. Um, I'm curious, like when you started to finally honor the questioning that you were already experiencing in your body, like, is this right for me? Is this, you know, um, What was that experience like for you? What was happening? And I'm just curious, like what you were feeling because this was such a huge, I mean, you went to seminary school, you became a missionary. It's not just that, you know, I went to church every Sunday. It's like my
2: life, your whole life was like religion. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say like, um, in regards to the, like the missionary component of my life,
0: um, I was never like the proselytizing type. I was more, I have this very compassionate nature and it shows up in the work that I do, like supporting other people, like what do they need? How do they need to be supported? So when I was overseas, I worked with a housing organization, like giving, providing housing to people, um, And it was interesting because I was in a different culture. I was a different skin color than the people I was living among. Um, And the pace of life was just totally different. And I could see the impacts of like colonialization. And I mean, I'm there, part of me is like, should I be here? I don't know, I'm here. Um, But just like what I learned and about slowing down um, and bringing, bringing death back into the conversation, like, there was like high rates of death from HIV and AIDS at the time. Um, you didn't go to the grocery store to buy food, like the chickens were running outside in the yard. Or, you know, um we're in, where were you? I was in Kenya. I lived okay. in Kenya.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it just it's like life was just real. Like if you needed water, you went to the river. If you you know, like if it didn't rain, the crops weren't gonna make it. And it just was like this reality. And I realized there was a dependence on something bigger, like a divine, but something bigger, like not as manufactured. Um, And part of my role there was uh, church relations. So um, it was fascinating because I worked with different denominations, which again, is part of my mojo is like getting people to work together. Like, let's have these conversations. Let's get the, let's get the Seventh-day Adventists and the Catholics to like get together and build a house, like, (laughs) like that type of stuff. And so I don't know if like that's when the questioning started happening, but it was just always this drive for me of like, how do we love each other with all out, all of these conditions placed on us? And, and fast forward. So when this, like the really intense questioning happened, I probably say it was like three or four years ago. And again, it's because of the clients that the the client stories that were coming up and I'm like, I'm not alone. And that's Mm -hmm. also part of it. It's like, I'm not alone like this person felt like they're alone like I felt like I was alone but we're sharing like you and I are having this conversation like you know too like church really did some weird stuff in my brain um and like literally googling because I'm like what do I even look up like religious what yeah what like what is it and like I said before it's like the, the words are coming there and the stories are coming forward. And it's like the reverse of giving a testimony of like, this is what church, you know, did for me. It's like, this is how church impacted me and it was not necessarily in a positive
1: way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think it was, um, second year of college for me all the way up into, through my like freshman year in college at UT Austin, I was very much like still going to church, very involved, teaching Bible study, um, had my own little youth group that I was guiding and leading, doing worship, all kinds of stuff, yeah. right? Like <laughs> playing my guitar and like leading, yeah. you know? Yeah,
0: doing the and, things, You're <laughs> the 20 year old looking for figuring it out, right?
1: Yeah. And for me, I think, um, I think a big part of what started to get me to sort of fall away was, um, I think seeing a lot of the judgment and hypocrisy within the group, like particularly the college groups that I was a part of. um, But as I started to kind of fall away, there was a lot of guilt. Like I feel like I experienced a lot of guilt and like, you know, I honestly haven't really sat and fully deep dive reflected on my experience in leaving, Um, It's not like just leaving church, but it was like leaving that religion, Christianity, leaving my social circles Mm -hmm. um, as I knew them, leaving this identity of who I was in those circles behind and giving myself permission to explore other facets of who I am my personality and you know um, like a a year or two later I got really uh, sucked into the rave culture you know and was very very into that and like I my christian identity would never have approved of my raver identity you know Mm, there's no crossover there you know like drugs bad you know like this this culture is is like you know hedonism or whatever you know um so i personally experience a lot of guilt and a lot of like oh now i'm a bad person you know and that label of like if i'm not christian i'm bad That, I think that belief has followed me into my adulthood, into my, you know, even though the, like, uh, the the shame of not being Christian um, has fallen away, it was more replaced by I'm not good enough. Like, I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know, I'm not a good person. And I think that was something that came through loud and clear just three years ago where I was kind of shown through a, a healing session that like there's a there's a belief like bur- bur- buried within me, like a program within me that like I am separate from this greater force that you were talking about, this source, God, the universe, whatever you wanna call it. I am not good enough to be in relationship with that. And that needed to be healed and cleared. You know, but I'm just so curious, like, what was your experience as you started to kind of move away from that and realize like this is not my life. this is not what I want to be associated with anymore.
0: I think for me, it was so gradual in some ways, like I haven't gone to church in years. Um, and it was like it just didn't resonate with me anymore and um And like, after having lived overseas, I came back and I went to grad school. I intended to go back, um, overseas somewhere as like humanitarian person. So I was like getting training in emergency management and things like that. Um, and even that too, was like, what is the, like, what is driving me? Is it me that's driving me or is it this thing like, like, um, And I think in some ways, I still wrestle with it in some ways. Like you were just talking about too, am I good enough? Or uh, because it used to be like, am I a good enough Christian? And now I'm like, am I just, am I a good enough human? Like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, it's learning to like, not just like oneself, love oneself, which is like counter to Christianity where you're supposed to love something that's outside of you. So I think for me, that's my thing. Is like, how do I love myself? Like truly myself. And how does that allow me to hold space and support other people?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I love the way you put it because I've never really thought about it in that way that Christianity is about loving something else. And then that's something else. It's like by loving that something else, then that something else loves you back. And that's what makes you worthy versus just bringing that awareness or that, that love for yourself just directly to you because you are part of that bigger thing. It's like
2: not a, it's not separate at all. Yeah. In your current work, I'm curious if you are still, um, if
1: working with, the terminally ill, if there's something that kind of drives you towards that work more so than sort of the broader, you know, just just anybody who needs the needs body work?
0: Yeah, um, my work has actually shifted and evolved over the last like, um, I haven't worked with end of life, necessarily like affiliate with hospice for like eight years or so. Mm-hmm. But I will say like those experiences of working With hospice, working with people in cancer treatment, which I still do, I still work with um, people who are in cancer treatment or have a history of cancer, has morphed in a way to hold space for the continuing holding space for people where society has certain expectations of them. Like, you know, again, like if you're have, if you have cancer, you're, you're like, you're supposed to look a certain way, or you're supposed to like, you know, just keep going and but holding that space in my office. And it has also morphed into this beautiful work of working with clients who have gone through top surgery. So those who are embracing their non-binary or um, gender non-conforming identities and like coming for support because I can, because of the work I did with breast cancer patients, it completely transfers over and I can hold this container as someone breathes in their new body for like the first, you know, like not the first time, but just like breeze with a body that they want to be in and like watching their ribs expand and watching this wonder come across their own faces of like, wow, I just took a breath because a lot of, um, some trans people, non-binary people, they bind. So they wear, you know, really tight compression on their chest and they finally can breathe. And that's that's what I feel like going back to this church stuff, like for me too, is like, I can finally breathe. Like I'm away from these things that told me how I could not be. And now I can start to be me and I can hold space for people that are like evolving into themselves.
1: Yeah. That's a really interesting metaphor and connection. The binding of this, like these belief systems, right? Right versus the binding of the body and just the freeing that happens when you are finally able to just move away from those bindings or unbind yourself in that way and how has your life shifted since kind of recognizing and maybe perhaps stepping away from the the binds that that was like religion for
2: you
0: yeah <clears throat> In some parts it's really confusing because right, you're walking away from a belief system, like you mentioned before too. Like, I mean, this is years ago, but it, like church is community in so many ways, like you support each other and like there's this idea of chosen family. And sometimes I it's a concept that sometimes doesn't resonate for me too, because it's two words when I put them together, I'm like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not really comfortable with either of those quite yet working on that, but um just kind of lost what the question was.
1: Yeah, like how has your life kind of shifted after stepping away from religion and kind of unbinding yeah. yourself? I think yeah, that's also the confusing
0: part of it because there's so many more options. Yeah. Without the sense of fear or guilt, which also still show up. I'm not going to say, you know, it's not all like yay, it's like it still shows up, but learning how to be present with that. Um And even like in the physical realm, like I had a huge move in my life. I closed a business, I moved, I've restarted a business um, specifically to work among the LGBTQ population of which I identify with also, which was a huge thing of, you know, stepping into that as well. Um, And being able to relate with people, be like, I understand, I can understand part of your story. Like my story is not your story, but I'm here to be supportive. Mm
1: -hmm and everything that you're describing, like this kind of, um, I think I got a chance to see you in the midst of this like rebirth, in the midst of claiming your identity in the LGBTQ plus like community, and um, witnessing you also growing more and more comfortable, speaking about you know your personal religious trauma, your personal you know experiences with harm in in um, like harm in your body, like fear that you still carry from some of the, the belief systems that were indoctrinated, and I think what I witnessed in you, too, just in you know working with you, is this like it's this like beautiful sort of. Um, It's like you're a little kid again. You know what I mean? Like a little girl or a little person that's just like, can I, can I talk about this? Can I do that? Can I, like, what if I went over here and did this? And what if I, you know, made this like real about this? And like, you know, there's this like exploration and rediscovery that I'm witnessing in you that is just so kind of, it's beautiful, you know, cause, and it just makes me realize that in each of these deaths and, and sort of like in the rebirth process, you do become kind of a child again. And mm-hmm. you can start to like, consider like, who do I want to hang out with? What do I want to do? What do I want to look like in this life? What kind of activities do I want to do? You know, like, It's just, it's really interesting. And you know, you and I have walked with plant medicines and things like that together. And I just feel like there's this almost limitless world that is unfolding in front of you in this sort of like, um, in this rebirth, but it's also sort of like a reclaiming of Mm. your life force, you know, that was so just like in this kind of bound up prison for
2: such a long time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and the way that I look at it too is like um, I'm really inspired by water. Like water, like I think of the ocean a lot too, and like you know, there's waves and there's calm water, and then there's these, you could call it like the category five hurricane that rolls in, and it just pummels you and crushes you, and uh, it takes time. Like it takes time to recover from, and I think too, it's been giving myself permission of that time. And not like I need to be this like yesterday. Like who again, it goes back to that. Who am I right now? And like again with water, like it just water goes through cycles too. Like where I live, it freezes, it you know, thaws, it all of that. And that's like what our life is. I mean, it's like what you're describing too. Like, um, I think for me it's to bring wonder back in, like W-O-N-D-E-R and just this curiosity, because life is really really beautiful like really beautiful when we take time to
1: observe it and um and be with it Mm. i love that the permission the permission to and just the element of water i work with water a lot too and Mm. she's like one of the greatest teachers i feel like for for me too where there's no rigidity There's, it's just, you're just flowing with the currents and you're just allowing yourself to kind of be carried. And yet there's also this insane force that comes from water too. So it feels both gentle and fierce at the same time. There's something really beautiful about that. Um, But I'm, I'm really grateful for what you shared about, like just allowing yourself space and slowness to figure it out and to like explore with wonder i think that wonder element is so um sometimes kind of forgotten you know and the wonder is really what allows us to kind of unfold into this new chapter and be a kid again you know just truly like creating And if we're gonna continue to allow ourselves to unfold, like to die and be reborn, die and be reborn in all these bazillion ways throughout our lives, like how cool is that to be able to like connect to that wonder and have that just be a a, a like constant in our life because you need that wonder in order to like actually be reborn to discover, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. I mean, I just, I was the other day, I find myself like, I stare at things a lot. It's like unintentional, but like, I'll be like, I'll stare, see a flower and I'll just like stare at it because it like, <laughs> is so cool. Like, it's just so cool. And, uh, and even when talking about water, like think of a glacier. I feel like glaciers don't get enough representation. Like <laughs> you got this massive chunk of ice and it moves super ridiculously slow, but it like does some serious damage underneath there where it, you know, where it goes. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, I just like, obviously I'm on this thing right now of like life is just, it's beautiful and it's also hard. And I think that's part of the thing too is like, it's not always happy and it's not always easy and it's meeting all of that as best we can. It's not going to be perfect and we're not going to be punished if it's not perfect. Thank you for saying that. I think that's a huge thing. I think
1: that- that um that punishment that disciplinarian the the you know the disciplinarian of the sky or whatever you know it's like that oh, yeah. the the absence of that energy in my life has been so beautiful like it's been so opening and yeah it really is what you what allows growth to happen you know like I think about i think back when i was much younger and um i don't know I, I feel like there were so many chances that i chose not to take because i thought that i don't know god was gonna smite me or something you know hey. like
2: mm. <laughs> sorry <laughs> like, oh, oh, that yeah oh, oh,
0: oh, <laughs> yeah right
2: oh,
1: yeah.
0: yeah i mean but it's true i mean we laugh but it's true and i mean and this is what like I, it's again, it's part of my story, and it's a part of what like when clients will say something, and like you and I are just talking about, it, I'm like, but we're here now, and you're okay, and it's just like the body's like, well, what do I do with that? What what do I do? Like right. so it's like part of the it's like learning this because at one point you thought you were going to get in trouble, and something you're like, I'm not getting in trouble, but is there a repercussion? There's not a repercussion. I'm not too sure about this. So that's why I think these conversations are so important.
2: Yeah, like I agree. What we're
0: having and what like I've had with other friends or people who see my social media posts, and I'll say it again: like you're not alone. Yeah, it's the aloneness that can be the pro- that it can become the problem because we take it onto ourselves. Like I just need to be a better person. Yeah,
1: yeah. is there something that you kind of um, for anybody who's listening who is sort of still in the throes of that kind of um, even say it's like who's who's still trying to like navigate that harm is there something that you would recommend that they start to even question within themselves or or a practice or ritual that you tend to go to to help just even anchor you to the ground and and
2: open you up and connect to that wonder and um yeah For me, it was the thought of, or the
0: mantra in some ways of like, I am worth it. Like that person, like to know that they are worth it. Yeah. You're worth it. And um, nature has been really helpful for me. Like I go out and find like the biggest oak tree that I can and just wrap my arms around it because that tree's been around a lot longer than I have. Mm. And it's just connect, It's connected to things that I don't even know um again going back to like my church stuff like we didn't talk about nature nature wasn't something you saved because like we were talking about like you were gonna die you're gonna go to heaven like we don't have to worry about this earthly plane and but this earthly plane does a really cool job of supporting us and like just like hugging that tree or like staring at the flower like just start to find the beauty in Things. I don't want to say the simple things, but just start to find the beauty that's around you and the wonder that would be. I think that's been part of my healing.
1: Yeah. Thank you for naming that too. Yeah, but not it, it's not even so much disregard for nature, but just the the dis um, disinterest in nature from that lens. Yeah, it's really, yeah, you and I share the tree kinship.
2: And so, yeah, yeah, I love that you
1: named that. Well, I always like to end with five kind of like not speed rounds. Like we can take it slow, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) but these are five
1: questions that um, that are just kind of fun that you know I like to kind of muse about myself. So, are you down for it? I'm down for it. Okay. All right, what would
2: you want as your final meal on Earth? Ooh, hmm. Final meal. Hmm. A really good, like some type of really good, like Indian curry. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Second question. What song or sound do you want to hear as you take your last breath? Hmm. Mm. It's
0: like nature. Like we were just talking about nature. I'm like, there's a <laughs> way to be like next to a river somewhere. Like, yeah, the sounds of water, mm. Yeah, it's like nature, definitely nature. No lyrics,
1: just nature. Just nature. The sound, yeah. I, I like literally got chills. As you said, a river, like that rushing water sound like I love that yeah what is one sensory experience
2: that you will miss so much on this earth hugs Hugs. such a body worker (laughs) I love hugs like oh yeah hugs
1: (laughs) what is something that you want to leave as your legacy for the next generation
2: It could be an idea, it could be a thing, it could be whatever. Life is one beautiful wild ride. Love it. And finally, if you could start this life all over again, what's one thing you would wanna do differently? Be kinder to myself. Oh, yeah. That one.
1: It's so interesting when I'm sitting with you, I feel my body more and I think it's you. I think it's your permission and who you are. But as soon as you said that, there's something that's just like on my upper back that just kind of went down. Um, just a presence. Like, uh, Ellen, are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's always super nourishing to talk to you and and hear your experiences from a body worker's perspective and, you know, love you so much. And I just feel like there's so many synchronicities in what we've experienced in our lives that just eternally grateful. Thank you. Same. Thank you so much for listening and joining in our conversation. Mom is produced by Trip with Ellen with so much joy and so much gratitude for bringing these intimate stories to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your preferred podcast app and take the time to leave us a review. This ensures that we can continue to sustain our production through your support, which opens up new monetization streams for us. Follow us on Instagram at momthepod. See you at the next episode. Until then, remember... Every death offers a portal to life. If you're in the middle of a life transition, a death portal, I'm talking to you right now. If you're feeling lost, stuck, unsure of what to do or where to go, this message is for you. Congratulations. You, my friend, have been initiated. I created my death-rebirth mentorship program to companion you through this death portal, shedding relationships, careers, patterns of behavior, aspects of your personality that no longer serve. For 13 weeks, I walk right next to you as you learn to be with the sensations of your body, facing your fears, your wounds, your anger, shame, and grief. You learn how to befriend your inner critic and help them soften. You begin to recognize the many ways you have normalized systemic oppression in your body, grinding and hustling and burning out your life force energy. You discover the root of your scarcity, your fear of abandonment, rejection, failure. You resolve the charge from ancestral and developmental trauma So that you can be liberated to create the life that you've been longing for you start to see the signs the nudges from the universe the unseen nature you suddenly realize you're never walking alone you begin celebrating your body learning to listen to the wisdom your body shares through sensations and emotions you become your inner child's best friend and begin to accept all versions of you that you've previously shamed or rejected or disowned. You heal, you become whole again. You strengthen your belief in your gifts, your power, your direction. You begin to realign to the values of your infinite essential being. You get clear, you know who you truly are by bravely walking through this death portal you develop a trust and a belief that allows you to fully surrender into your most easeful powerful expression of you go to tripwithellen.com and sign up for a free discovery call listeners get a $250 discount if you mention mom during our call thank you for the honor of witnessing companioning and guiding you through this death and rebirth.